What's up, everybody? My name is Athena, and you're here to listen to another episode of Vanished in the Valley. So, today, I was originally going to start telling you guys about the original 13 families that supposedly rule the world, but we had a break in the Kristen Smart disappearance case. So, we have to go all the way back to 1996 in San Luis Obispo, California, so you get the full story. And today, I'm getting a lot of my information from a newspaper article in the California Register. There was also an awesome podcast about her disappearance. There is so much information in the podcast. If you want all the details on the disappearance of Kristen Smart, go check out a podcast called Your Own Backyard. The podcast is produced by a guy named Chris Lambert. He fucking went all in with this podcast. He funded it himself. He fucking paid for driving up and down the California highway to come all the way up to NorCal in Stockton, where Kristen is from, and about five hours south to San Luis Obispo, where she went missing. So check out his podcast. Go check out the California Register story on Kristen Smart if you want all the fine details. I'm going to tell you about all the stuff that I personally think is important because I remember this case. I was about 15 years old when Kristen went missing and I remember her case was huge at the beginning. Then for like a decade, you didn't really hear anything. Then there'd be a little blurb about a search or something like that. And then you wouldn't hear anything for, you know, a few years. So, like I said, let's go back to the 90s, and let me just try to set the stage for you, okay? It's the 90s. The internet is not like it is today. It's just starting to show up in everybody's house with a computer. Cell phones are not something that everybody has back then. So, we have good old pay phones. So, you just have to remember it's a different time. So, June 8th, 1995... Kristen Smart graduates from Lincoln High School in Stockton, California. She is accepted to California Polytech State University, which I'll refer to as Cal Poly in the future, which is in San Luis Obispo, California. So a few months after that, December 1995, Cal Poly student Paul Flores is apprehended, but not arrested by the San Luis Obispo police. He is suspected of being a peeping Tom or attempting a break-in in a co-ed's off-campus apartment by climbing up her balcony. The police decide just to tell him to leave. They don't think it's fucking weird some guy is trying to break into a girl's apartment in the middle of the night. And this is just going to be the first of many fuck-ups by the San Luis Obispo police and we'll also have the Cal Poly police and all their fuck-ups. So a lot of this stuff is just going to blow your mind, you guys. And I think a lot of it has to do with the time, but some people actually suspect there is a cover-up by the police departments down there for whatever reason. So they let fucking Paul Flores go and just remember that name because he is going to be a starring player in this horrible story I'm about to tell you. March 27th, 1996, a crime report is filed by the San Luis Police Department concerning harassing phone calls to an off-campus apartment where three co-eds reside. They report to the police that they've been getting these calls for about six weeks. 
The caller never ever says anything. They just wait for the girls to answer and they hang up. And the girls were saying there was money as eight calls in a row. God, you know how fucking annoying that would be? The victim suspects it's Paul Flores making the calls because he was apprehended climbing up their balcony just a few months before in December. So, okay, let's fast forward to Friday, May 24th, 1996. This is a three-day weekend. It's Memorial Day weekend. So you have to understand, students are going to go back to see their parents. They might go on little trips. So it's not like a regular weekend. And that kind of plays in to how bad the ball gets dropped in Kristen's case. So on that Friday evening, Kristen's parents realized they had missed a call from Kristen and she had left a message. In the message, she says, good news, good news, I'll call Sunday. And that's actually the last time her parents would ever hear from Kristen. They realized on Sunday they never got a call from Kristen and they thought that was kind of weird but figured she was just kind of busy. They didn't even know anything was wrong until they get a call from the police department asking if Kristen is with them. And obviously that is going to kind of uh, freak a parent out. They're like, no, where is my daughter? Which then prompts Kristen's father to get in the car and drive five hours down to San Luis Obispo to try to figure out what is happening with his daughter. But we actually have to go back Friday night, May 24th. Kristen was out with a couple of her friends and they were looking for a party. Kristen wanted to go unwind and, you know, just have some fun. So her and her three friends are walking around trying to find a party. And at this point, her friends are kind of getting annoyed. They look for a party. They can't find any good parties. They just want to go home and go to sleep. But Kristen's not having any of that. She is feeling it. It's Friday. She wants to go out and party. Can't blame her. Kristen had actually heard that there was a party going on for a student named Ryan Swampy Phil. He was celebrating his birthday at 135 Crandall Way which was just off campus. So about 8.30, Kristen and her friends are walking from the dorms when they flag down a friend in a pickup truck. Kristen climbed into the cab and the others jump in the back. And they just kind of cruise around the streets trying to see if there's anything going on. And that's when Kristen suggests going by 135 Crandall Way. Her friends, though, they didn't want to go to that party. Certain party venues in any college town develop reputations for rowdy behavior, where the atmosphere created is what Peter King of the LA Times called, quote-unquote, a mix of testosterone and tap beer that makes female students feel less than comfortable. And I don't fucking blame them. So later on, they drop Kristen off a couple blocks from the party, and her friends go home. None of them, including Kristen, had been drinking. Her friend Margarita said, when we dropped her off, she seemed a little mad that we wouldn't go with her. She kept saying, you go with me, but I didn't want to. I told her, you better be careful. And she said she'd be fine. Then she said goodbye. So according to all reports, it was total typical college party, keg of beer, some vodka, hard stuff, hella loud music, and a bunch of college kids. And nobody could actually tell the police if Kristen had been drinking. Some said that she was drinking, some said there was no way, but apparently everybody was drinking, super, you know, tossed on the sauce, and nobody could get 
a fucking solid answer about what Kristen had ingested or not. So among the party is a girl named Cheryl Anderson, and she was kind of acquainted with Kristen. Cheryl was one of the last people to see Kristen alive. Around 1.30 to 2 o'clock in the morning, Swampy's birthday party begins to break up. And according to Cheryl, she's trying to go home, but she didn't want to walk alone. So she's looking for friends to walk back to the dorm with her. She couldn't find the people she was hunting for. So Tim Davis, another student at Cal Poly, offered to walk back to campus with Cheryl. His car was parked in a campus lot, so it was all the same direction. So, you know, it just kind of worked out. Cheryl was not close friends with Kristen, but she did know her. And she noticed Kristen was lying down in the grass of the neighbor's home and pulled her to her feet so Kristen could walk back with them. So a little after 2 a.m., Tim, Cheryl, and a staggering Kristen begin to slowly <laughs> and drunkenly make their way back to campus. Dun, dun, dun. After a few steps, Paul Flores approached the trio from behind and just kind of inserted himself in the situation and said, hey, I'll help you walk her back to her dorm. So with his arm around her and her arm around his neck, they slowly walk up Crandall Way. The four students then cut behind the recreation center to Perimeter Avenue on campus. Near Perimeter Avenue, Tim Davis said goodnight and headed towards his car, leaving just the three of them, Cheryl, Kristen, and Paul. So this part is I'm getting from Cheryl's deposition. Cheryl testified that Kristen and Paul would occasionally stop. Paul, holding Kristen, would tell Cheryl to go ahead if you want. And she thought this was kind of strange, so she just sat there and waited for them to catch up. Paul attempting to get Cheryl to leave him alone with Kristen happened repeatedly throughout the walk. So eventually they reach a little intersection and Cheryl has to go right and Kristen's apartment is left. And that's the last time she sees Kristen. She turns around and sees Flores and Kristen walking towards the direction of Kristen's apartment. One thing that Cheryl thought was super weird is when the trio were kind of going the separate ways, Paul Flores asked Cheryl for a departing kiss. And Cheryl thought it was not only fucking weird, but nasty and abruptly declined. Paul then asked Cheryl for a hug, which she also turned down. Paul and Kristen then begin to move up the perimeter road towards their dorms. Cheryl recalls that Paul Flores, who was at least three inches shorter than Kristen, uh-oh, small man syndrome, with his arm around her waist and her arm around his neck, began walking towards their respective dormitories. So later on, when Cheryl discovered that Kristen never made it back to her room, I think it was about two, three days after that Friday, she blurted out that she felt Paul had killed Kristen Smart. How and why she thought of that is still unclear, but that was her intuition and she just felt something was off that night. So like I said earlier, this is a three-day weekend and Kristen's roommate had actually gone away for the weekend. When she returned, she noticed that something wasn't right almost immediately. Apparently, Kristen had left some of her stuff out on her bed, and Crystal noticed it was the exact same stuff that had been there since Friday. So that really alarmed her. It alarmed her to the point that she actually called the campus police and tried to tell them that her roommate was missing. Now, Crystal didn't make just one call to the campus police. She made two calls 
before they decided they should, uh, I guess, get off their asses and maybe start looking for a missing girl. So Monday afternoon in Stockton, Kristen's mother was actually excited to hear the phone ring because she thought it was Kristen calling to tell them about the good news. And sadly, it wasn't. It was the campus police asking if Kristen was home with her parents. Can you imagine getting that call? You know, police are saying, hey, is your kid with you? Because something's going on. So Tuesday morning, Kristen's father, Stan, scrambles to make arrangements for time off work so he could go investigate what might have happened to his daughter. He actually drove the five hours down to San Luis Obispo and he met with the campus police and they shared basically nothing with him. To Stan, the campus police apartment appeared untrained and unqualified to find his daughter. So he took matters into his own hand and began a search for Kristen right then and there. And over the following weeks and months, he got other community members to assist with the searches. He got local businesses to assist with it. They donated meals and lodging. And the Smart family is still grateful to this day for the outpouring of love and concern they received from many sympathetic community members. So this next part is kind of infuriating. Stan Smart tried to file a missing persons report with the San Luis Obispo Police Department, but was told it was too soon. He made a second attempt to file a missing persons report with the campus police department, but the San Luis Obispo police told the campus police that it was still too early to file a report. So all this time, they're just fucking wasting. And as we all know, every minute counts when a person goes missing. Weeks later, the initial missing persons report was finally written up by Cal Poly police and contained the statement, Quote, unquote, Denise Smart stated her daughter went on a camping trip. Now, this, Denise says, is 100% false. She never said that. She never thought her daughter was camping and immediately thought that the police wrote that to kind of save face because they had wasted so much time since Kristen had gone missing. So about a week after Kristen disappeared, the campus police finally started to begin investigating her disappearance. At this point, they start interviewing students that they suspect of having knowledge about what happened that night and where she could be found. All three students who escorted Kristen back to the campus were brought in for questioning. So that was Tim, Cheryl, and Paul. Paul was the last one to actually see Kristen, and he came to an interview with a fucking black eye and scratches all over him. And after that interview, the campus police concluded there was no indication of foul play. I'm like, are you fucking serious? This guy who has a history of being a pervert, a peeping Tom, and he's the last person to see our missing girl has scratches and a black eye, but you're going to fucking say there's no foul play suspected. Holy shit. I really, really hope San Luis Obispo police and the campus police down there got trained or whatever they need to do because the way they dropped the ball in this case, it's like, is this really just people that are inept or are they trying to cover something up because they just dropped the ball after ball after ball. It's like one of the most fucked up missing person cases I've ever come across. So after about a month of twiddling their thumbs and not really doing much to look for Kristen, they actually turned the case over to San Luis Obispo's district attorney, which seems really strange because they're not supposed to do that. They're supposed to turn it over 
to police or sheriff to investigate. And if the sheriff or police gather enough evidence that they think they could actually, you know, get this person charged, they will then turn it over to the district attorney. And the district attorney at that point decides, yes, we have enough evidence. Let's go to trial or no, go back, go dig in, find me something else because I don't think we can win a case with that. So nobody really knows why they turned this case over to the district attorney and why the district attorney decided they should investigate and not the sheriff's office. So the sheriff's office had the manpower. They had the resources and they had, you know, cadaver dogs. They had highly trained people that could have handled this case with no problem, but they don't get brought into this case for months. So the first thing the district attorney investigators did was re-examine the transcripts from the interviews conducted by campus police. You know, the one with the three that were last with them, Tim Davis, Cheryl, and Paul Flores. They decided to call Paul back in for another interview. So in his first interview with the campus police, Flores said he watched Kristen walk up the path towards her dormitory before he entered his dorm. Investigators said Paul's roommate heard a different version. His roommate says he was told by Flores that he walked Kristen home and then came back to his room. And the roommate, according to a police report, said he did joke with Flores about the case and asked Flores what he did with Kristen. Flores told his roommate words to this effect. She's home with my parents. It's like, what the fuck? What does that even mean? People close to the case say this was probably a truthful statement that Kristen's body was indeed home with his parents. So check this out. Two days after Kristen disappeared, the Flores family poured concrete behind one of the homes they own. And lots of people got together and decided Kristen's probably buried under that concrete slab in the backyard. Oh, wow. Can you fucking imagine your kid just gone missing and now word on the street is they're buried in some fucking person's backyard under concrete? It'd be like enough to lose my mind. So initially, Flores agreed to submit to a polygraph test, but he ends up never taking it. He did agree to go into a 90-minute session that was videotaped by the district attorney. And in there, Paul admitted that, yes, he had gone into the dorm's communal shower around 5 a.m., after becoming sick. And some people suspect this was to lay a foundation for an explanation should the police discover traces of human vomit in his room. Another strange thing in this interview is you can see Paul kind of like curling up into a fetal position as the investigators pressed him, pointing out that Kristen had last been seen with him. So at this point, he like pulls his arm into his t-shirt, scrunched up, like pulled his feet up off the ground, and he was like kind of rocking. It's really fucked up. You can find it on the internet. You can tell just like he is so uncomfortable with this questioning. And just as it seems he was about to tell the truth of what happened that night, an investigator asked him an overreaching question. And in that one question, completely blew the whole interview. Paul like straightens up and he snaps back like he's in control again and says, if you're so smart, tell me where the body is then. And that was the last thing he said. He got up and left the interview. And it's now been 24 years after that. And we still don't have Kristen's body or an explanation of what happened that night. So finally, the case is handed off to the sheriff's department. And 
The sheriff's department wanted to search the dorm room of Paul Flores. But check this out, you guys. The campus had actually gone into that room and sanitized it. So if there was fingerprints or hair or something like that, it was gone. So Sheriff Ed Williams decided to start the investigation by examining suspected areas on the Cal Poly campus. And specifically, they wanted to go to the path where they had walked to the dormitories. And they wanted to check out the dormitories itself. The sheriff's deputies brought in four cadaver dogs. And let me just tell you, these are well-trained, certified grave-detecting dogs. And they can find human remains with nearly a 100% accuracy. So check this out, you guys. All four dogs signaled they had smelled human decomposition in Paul's room, room number 128. And that is the only room they alerted on. So each dog searched independently, but one by one. So it's not like all four dogs were in there at the same time. So the first dog comes in and they alert at the door of Paul Flores. Once each of them got inside, the dogs alerted on three specific areas. The edge of the bed where Paul slept, a garbage can, and the telephone. So armed with this information, the sheriff's office on July 15, 1996, searched the home of Ruben Flores, who's Paul's father. Now, according to Kristen's parents, they think the search of Ruben's home was totally inadequate, just like total second-rate job. They say deputies apparently just walked around and asked a few questions. They also say that newspaper clippings were found about Kristen's disappearance under a bed. Now, that's fucking weird. Now, here's a weird little side note. Some people believe Ruben Flores was tipped off that a search of his residence was about to happen. So it's kind of suspected that Ruben had close ties with the local police department. And if that's true, someone within the law could have warned him that, you know, hey, your shit's about to go get ripped up. Do something. There was no information that an internal affairs investigation was ever conducted to determine if there was a leak. So that's always been a big question. Some people also think that the search at Ruben's home was just contrived to shut the public up and to make the parents think that they were actually out there busting their ass looking for Kristen. They didn't search the vehicles in the garage. No cadaver dogs were used. And it just seems like it was a complete wasted opportunity and the Smart family thinks the sheriff's deputies were going through the motions and not even interested in discovering evidence. Some people wonder, why didn't the police use this search warrant to maybe do a full excavation, use ground-penetrating radar, or just maybe pull in the cadaver dogs? And by failing to conduct a thorough search of the property, the police not only betrayed the Smart family and every law-abiding citizen, but they didn't do the Flores family any favors either. So fast forward to November 26, 1996. The Smart family filed a civil lawsuit against Paul Flores for the wrongful death of their daughter. After he got an attorney, Paul refused to admit that he even attended any party. If you listen to the deposition, he literally answers every fucking question with, on the advice of my attorney, I refuse to answer the question based on the Fifth Amendment of the United States Constitution. And, you know, without a body, without any motive, DNA, the DA didn't think they had a case, so they didn't file any charges against Paul Flores. 
And here's a little side note that kind of goes with the theory that the police are colluding with the Flores. A tenant that rented a home from the Flores family said that she found an earring in her driveway. And allegedly, the police took the earring, put it in an evidence bag, and marked it as potential evidence. But the sheriffs never informed the Smart family that they had found that earring. They only found out about it in court when the tenant asked if the earring she found belonged to Kristen. And they were totally shocked. They were like, what are you talking about? What earring? And according to Kristen's mom, the description matched Kristen's favorite pair of earrings. And so she went and looked in Kristen's personal effects and could not find that particular pair of earrings. So, of course, they go to the sheriff's department. They want to see the earrings so she can confirm if it's hers or not. But apparently, the sheriffs say they had lost or misplaced the earring. So, you guys, there's just like ball drop after ball drop with these people. It's not just the San Luis Obispo Police Department. It's the sheriff's department. It's the district attorney. It's like, are all of these agencies completely inept? Or is there some sort of concerted effort to protect the Flores family? It's very strange, all of the things that happened in this case. So this next part, I'm going to get directly from the California Register story on Kristen. So on November 14th, 1997, this is about 18 months after Kristen vanished, a deposition was held. And midway through the deposition, the opposing parties took a break. Denise Smart, who's Kristen's mom, just was suddenly overcome with grief. So she ran into a vacant conference room. And she just sobbed. Check this part out. Paul's father, Reuben, followed her and opened the door to the conference room where she was sobbing and stared at her for a second and then just laughed at her, walked out of the conference room. Just like, what the actual fuck? So over the next 24 years, there would be a total of four searches done at the homes of Paul Flores's parents' house. Nothing was ever found, but not a lot is known about some of the searches. They do know the yard was never excavated. According to the sheriff's department, the warrant was too narrowly written to allow for them to dig up the yard. But retired FBI agent Jack Schaefer says he's the one that actually wrote the warrant up, and he says he completely disagrees with the sheriff's statement about that. He went on to say, the first warrant authorized a dig. I know this because I provided most of the information for the warrant. I forced the warrant on a skeptical police force. I was told that the officers present did not want to pay to have the concrete repaired if the search turned up nothing. That was a lost opportunity. I'm like, are you fucking serious? You don't want to pay to have some fucking concrete repaired? What if that was your kid possibly buried under there? It's just like ball after ball is being dropped in this case. Another interesting aspect, <laughs> on April 9th, 2002, Suzanne Flores, which is Paul's mom, committed assault and battery on a smart family supporter, Dennis Mahone. Apparently, he was carrying a sign on a public sidewalk near their home, and Susan just fucking lost it, ran out, lunged, and attacked him. And apparently, the attack was witnessed by Sergeant David Sanchez. So, Susan was arrested, handcuffed, and placed in the police cruiser. And at this point, they tell Mahone that they're going to take her in, book her, and charge her, you know? But they fucking lie to him. What they actually do is drive this chick around the block and let her go. 
I'm just like, what is going on? More and more help to the Flores family. So on February 12th, 2006, KristenSmart.com received a tip which said, quote unquote, I am the contractor who built the detached garage in the right rear portion of the Flores house a number of years ago. She is not buried under that foundation. Placing a human body under such a small foundation would have almost been impossible to pull off without us knowing about it. However, it occurred to me recently that there is something about that backyard that may be of interest to you. Some months before Suzanne contacted me to work up a bid for her garage, she contacted me and asked me to give her a bid on building an arbor in her backyard up against the existing house. I gave her a quote but never heard back from her. Later, when I came over to work up a bid for her garage, I noticed that the arbor that I had bid on had been built and completed and on a new concrete slab, if my memory serves me correctly. Now, I didn't think much of it at this time. After all, I don't expect to get all the jobs I bid on. But it did seem kind of odd that after rejecting my bid for being too high, she would call me back for another bid. It's actually unknown if the police ever acted upon this tip. Search number four happened May 23rd, 2007. That was basically almost 11 years to the day after Kristen disappeared. FBI agents and volunteers from Chico, California descended on the Flores' East Branch Street home once again. This time, they searched without a warrant because the Flores family had actually given permission to search, so long as they just searched in one specific area of the property. Now, wouldn't that be kind of fucking suspicious? They're like, sure, you can come search, but stay away from these plants over here on the left. I mean, come on, that didn't fucking get anybody suspicious. No arrests were made after that search, and it was just kind of all for nothing. The year started to go by. Paul Flores was still leading his life, getting arrested four times for DUI. Kristen's parents, meanwhile, are trying to rebuild their lives and recover from the hurt and anguish of a lost child so they could go on living their lives. So let's fast forward to April 14th, 2021. Paul Flores and Ruben Flores get arrested. And Jeffrey Armstrong, who is the president of California Polytechnic State University at a news conference, says Kristen Smart was killed during an attempted rape and the father of Paul Flores was also charged this week with murdering her and helping her hide the body. Dan Doe, who is the new district attorney in San Luis Obispo County, shared the details of the investigation during a news conference. He says, It's alleged that Mr. Flores caused the death of Kristen Smart while in the commission of or attempted rape. He added that the allegation against Reuben is that he helped to conceal Kristen's body after the murder was committed. The men who have yet to enter a plea are to be arraigned Thursday morning. The charges mark a major milestone, Mr. Dow said, adding that today we mark the very first move to bring justice to Kristen Smart, her family, and the entire community of San Luis Obispo County. So reporters asked Mr. Dow on Wednesday if he knew where Ms. Smart was killed, and he responded, the last place where Kristen was seen was close to the dorms and near Mr. Flores' dorms. 
He added, we certainly believe that Mr. Flores' dorm room was the crime scene. So as of 2002, Kristen's family had her declared legally dead. But as of right now, we do not have her remains. I guess in March, the sheriff's office is saying it had obtained a search warrant to search for evidence at Ruben Flores' residence. They used cadaver dogs and ground penetrating radar to canvas the property. Additional evidence related to Kristen's case was discovered at the site, according to the sheriff's office. So apparently the sheriff is saying that these search warrants are sealed and he cannot discuss what evidence has been found. He went on to say, what I can tell you is that significant new information has come into the sheriff's office that we've reviewed over the last two years and some very important information just a month ago. We've got physical evidence. We have witness statements, things that, in our view, in the totality, have brought us to the point where we believe we can go forward and prosecute Mr. Flores for the murder of Kristen Smart. So the lawyers for the Floreses are stating that they don't believe there's any objective physical evidence that my client has committed any crime. And he doesn't believe he has any evidence to convict the client of any crime, primarily because my client has not committed any crime. Yeah, fucking right, homeboy. So Paul Flores was booked on Tuesday at the San Luis Obispo County Jail, where he's being held without bail. The sheriff said... Ruben Flores was also booked in the jail, and he does have bail, but it's set at $250,000. So apparently, the sheriff said that after their arrests, he has turned a case over to San Luis Obispo County District Attorney's Office. Mr. Dow said he could not charge Paul Flores with rape because the statute of limitations have expired. Oh, that fucking kills me. These people really need to update the statute of limitations on rape. So he goes on to say the allegation that he was committing or attempting to commit a rape when he killed her is the basis for which we are able to file the first degree felony murder charges. So at the news conference, Mr. Dow did ask for the public's help in providing any information about this case or information on potential crimes believed to have been perpetrated by Paul Ruben Flores, including assaults or other acts. So that's amazing news for Kristen's family, but it's like, did they find her remains? What did they find on this property? We don't know. And we may never know because it's still a developing story. <laughs> so you guys, that's Kristen Smart's story. I'm happy that she's finally getting justice, that these two scumbags are going to have to pay for what they did. I'm sure her family has a complete sense of relief. I really, really hope they get her remains back so she can have a proper burial and her parents and family can say goodbye. You know, it, it gives them closure and maybe it might give them a little bit more peace, just something, because these poor people have been through hell the last 24 years. If you have any information on the murder, abduction, and possible rape of Kristen Smart, you can contact the San Luis Obispo County Sheriff's at area code 805-781-4500. Or you can send me an email at vanishedinthevalley at gmail.com or go to Instagram and look for vanishedinthevalleyathena or try the parlor account at Vanished in the Valley, Athena. That's about it for today's episode. 
If you want the juicy details, like I'm not, I'm not even fucking joking. You guys check out the podcast, your own backyard by Chris Lambert, because it has so much information. This guy went hardcore on this podcast. There's several episodes. There's about eight episodes and they range from about 30 minutes to an hour. And like I said, it's a developing story. I'm sure Chris is going to have to do another podcast now that we have this huge development in the case. But what I can say is be aware and don't forget your pepper spray. Ciao, ciao. If you would like to become a producer and support Vanished in the Valley, you can go to Cash App and search for Vanished Athena, or you can go to the episode description, scroll down, and look for a link that says Support Acast Vanished in the Valley. Click that link and it'll bring you to a page where you can show us some love. Thank <laughs> you.